Right, I ask you to turn your Bibles for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We're back to Romans chapter 8. And this morning our focus is going to be on Romans 8.34. Romans 8.34. I'm going to back up for context and read beginning at verse 31. I'll ask you to please stand as we read Holy Scripture together. This is God's holy infallible word for us his people beginning at Romans 8:31 What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? This is God's holy word for us, His people. Father, we ask that You would bless our time in this word. Send your Holy Spirit to empower not only the reading, but now especially the preaching of your truth, of your word. Plant your truth down deep in us and let it bear glorious, pleasing fruit in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, two weeks ago, guys, two weeks ago, we started looking at the cross, the cross of Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at a doctrine, hopefully you remember, penal substitutionary atonement. And we also looked at the doctrine of limited atonement from Romans 8.32. We said that simply means Jesus pays our penalty in our place to make us right with God. And Jesus only does that for God's elect. That's two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at John three sixteen to 18. We took a step back from Romans 8 just to see how what we learned from Romans eight thirty two fits with these other texts that seem to say something different. And we looked at... John three sixteen to 18, the classic example, God so loved the world. And we saw that God loves every nation. God loves every people group. God loves every race. He loves every ethnicity. Not just the nation of Israel. Not just the Jewish people. That's what the world means in John three sixteen. God gave His Son upon the cross to save absolutely every believer in the world. Every believer in the world. The gospel promise goes out to all sinners everywhere, and everyone who believes is saved. And who are the ones who believe? Those who are called. 
those who were called. All those for whom Jesus died on the cross in all ages and all nations will be saved because Jesus is a perfect Savior and His blood never fails. That's the Savior you serve. That was the last two weeks. Now this morning, we're coming back to Romans 8, and we're going to focus on verse 34. And remember last week I said that the cross is the keystone of the Christian faith. Or two weeks ago. Now I'm getting confused. But in the last two weeks, it's somewhere in there. The cross is the keystone of the Christian faith. It's what holds the whole thing together. But it's not the entirety of the work that God sent Jesus to do. The cross is crucial. It's absolutely central. Nothing happens without the cross. But that's not the total story that Jesus came to do. Today we're going to take a fuller look at the work of our Savior. God appointed His Son to be the mediator between the holy God and rebellious humanity lost in sin. All that Jesus does to accomplish our full and eternal redemption, He does so as our mediator. And His mediation includes the cross at its glorious center, but there's so much more to it that we need to see. And this morning we're going to look at that fuller work. Paul gives us a summary of it in our text. Look at Romans 8, 34. Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the Father's or who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As we unpack this summary of the work of the mediator, we're going to see three things. First, we'll see the office of the mediator. Second, the work of the mediator. And finally, the ministry of the mediator. And here's the important truth we learn from this passage as we look to the Scriptures today. Because we have no access to the grace of God apart from our mediator, we must never approach God any other way than through Jesus Christ. We're going to see what that means this morning. So let's begin. First, the office of the mediator. Let's just start with a basic question. Just like a couple weeks ago, we said, we talked about the atonement, and we said, all right, just in plain language, what is an atonement? Same thing this week. In plain language, what's a mediator? And what does a mediator do? A mediator is an intermediary. That doesn't tell us much. What does that mean? A mediator is a go between. Right, You've heard of mediators, someone who intervenes in behalf of two parties. Someone who intervenes, who goes between and acts on behalf of two parties. 
The mediator is the point man. He's the point of contact between those two parties. So, how does a mediator intervene? Mediator does two things. First, a mediator is someone who reconciles those who are estranged. Two parties have a falling out. They're estranged. And the mediator is the one who attempts to bring hostile parties, parties who are at odds with each other, back together. He brings the two parties to the table and tries to negotiate reconciliation between them. The mediator attempts to heal and mend that broken relationship. The mediator is the one who reconciles. Second thing a mediator does, a mediator is a broker. You guys know what a broker is. We got stockbrokers, power brokers, real estate brokers. A broker is someone who negotiates contracts and transactions between two parties. Just like a stockbroker or a real estate agent. This is the person who negotiates a legal or financial transaction. The broker also gets a commission. We know that. The one who brokers the deal gets a cut. He doesn't just close the deal. He collects on the deal as well. Okay, that's a mediator. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, There is one God... And there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. So how does he fulfill that office? How does Jesus fulfill the office of the mediator? First of all, Jesus reconciles us to God. Jesus intervenes between God and us when we were enemies at war with one another. God appointed His Son to do the work of bringing us back together. Jesus brings us to God and He brings God to us. In Jesus, who is God and man, We meet together. He brings God to us in His divinity, and He brings us to God in His humanity. He is the one who reconciles us to the Father so that we become His friends, not His enemies. The second thing He does is He brokers our redemption. Jesus takes what belongs to God. He takes what is God's and He transfers it to us. All of God's grace, all of His mercy, all of His blessings, all of God's promises. Jesus takes what is God's and He brings it to us. And then He takes what is ours and He transfers that to God. All of our faith, all of our good works, all of our obedience, all of our prayers, all of our repentance, it all goes through the point man. 
It all goes through the mediator to God. We don't just come into God's throne room unannounced, uninvited, and throw open the doors and just show up. (laughs) No, we go through our mediator. We receive our redemption from Him. All of God's grace and blessing and promise is found in Christ. And all of our response to God's grace flows back through Christ to God. It all goes through the mediator. He reconciles us to God and He brokers our redemption. So what's His commission? The broker gets a cut. He collects on the deal. He doesn't just close it. What is Christ's commission? What does He get for doing this work? Jesus gets the glory. He gets the worship. He gets the thanks. He gets the credit. He gets the love and devotion. He gets the bended knee. He gets our heart. He gets our hands and our feet and our eyes and our ears and our mouths, our bodies, our souls. He collects everything. We belong body and soul to Him. He gets all the glory. And He gets our whole life in gratitude. That's His cut. That's the office of the mediator. Now, how does Jesus accomplish this work? How does he reconcile us? How does he broker our redemption? We've been talking about this the past couple of weeks with the cross. It's absolutely central. Let's press in a little further. Point two, the work of the mediator. In the office of mediator... It is the role of Christ by the eternal appointment of God the Father to reconcile us to God, to broker our redemption. And this is why the office of mediator is sometimes called the office of redeemer. We call Christ the redeemer. So what is that work that the mediator or the redeemer does? How does he bring about these things? He does it two ways. First, He accomplishes our redemption. And second, He applies our redemption. There's a fantastic book by a great old Reformed author, John Murray. And the book is just simply called Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. It is a classic. It is not long. I highly recommend it. John Murray, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's all about what Jesus does as our Redeemer, our Mediator. Now, in our passage, in Romans 8.34, Paul refers very concisely to the whole entire work of redemption, not just the cross. He refers to all of it. And notice the pattern. Notice this pattern in Romans 8.34. It goes from humiliation to exaltation. Jesus dies. He comes down and He dies, it says. And then He is raised... And he's not just raised from the dead, he's raised up to the right hand of the Father, and there he sits. There's this big pattern of coming down and going back up. His humiliation and his 
exaltation. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's the pattern of this work of redemption. And Paul spells it out so beautifully in Philippians 2. He says, though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He's coming down. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. So he could have been like an emperor, right? He's the son of God. He comes and becomes flesh for us. He could have come as a king, as a ruler, as an emperor, knocked Caesar off his throne. He didn't do that. He went even lower. He humbled himself, it says, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's as low as you can get. The shameful death of the cross. Therefore, Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him. Humiliation, exaltation. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the broker's cut. Humiliation to the cross, to the tomb, low as you can get, and then from the grave to the heavens with a name above every name, the exaltation, and He gets the glory. That's the whole process. The work of the mediator begins with the eternal Son of God coming down, becoming flesh, living among us, going all the way down in humility, to the cross, and rising, 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 until he is exalted above the heavens at God's right hand. Now through this whole work of humiliation and exaltation, Christ accomplishes and applies our redemption. And that's how he reconciles us to God. He brings what is God's down to us. And he takes what is ours and brings it up to God. And he gets all the praise and all the glory. And this is why Paul says, no one can condemn us in Romans 8.34. That's how he starts. Who is to condemn? Nobody. Oh, you'll have lots of people who condemn you. Sometimes you'll be in the front of the line. Blaming yourself, kicking yourself, down on yourself, feeling guilty over sin. Sometimes we'll be the ones who condemn ourselves and say, God, you must be done with me now. I have done that same sin again, Lord, that I swore for the hundredth time I wouldn't do Here we are again. I should just give it up. Just quit. What's the use? Condemn. 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 We do it to ourselves. Our enemy, the devil, will do it to us. He will whisper that condemnation in your ear. Other people who will throw your sins in your face and hold grudges over you for things you've done. You ask forgiveness and they won't give it. 
condemned, condemned, condemned. We hear it from all sides, even from inside. But this text says, who can get away with that? What condemnation is going to stick to you? Answer, nothing. Reason, Christ is your mediator. He has stepped in for you. He has intervened on your behalf. Our Redeemer has saved us. Our mediator stands between us and God and He reconciles us as friends, no longer as enemies. There is no condemnation left for you, Christian, if you're in your mediator. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does in Christ mean? You are in connection, you are in union with your mediator. The mediator has triumphed for us. He has won the victory. For us. Now let's look at this just a little closer. How does Christ the mediator accomplish and apply redemption? We've seen the pattern through his humiliation and his exaltation. The whole work of redemption from the incarnation to the ascension and his session at God's right hand. Somehow, through that total work, He has accomplished and applied our redemption. How? How? Christ fulfills the biblical role of our high priest. This is how He does it. There are a lot of parts to this. Theologically, and you get John Murray's book and he'll walk you through it step by step. And you'll feel like you've been to seminary for nine years. Get that book and he'll walk you through the whole thing. I just want to zero in like a laser on this one aspect of it. Christ fulfills the biblical role of the high priest from the Old Testament. That high priest, that whole office of high priest was pointing us somewhere. It pointed those ancient Israelites somewhere in the future. And now we can look back at the Old Testament through the New Testament and we can see through that New Testament lens, through the cross, what it was all about. How does it work? Well, what did the high priest do? Here's how it worked. You're an old Israelite, Old Testament Israelite. You commit a sin. You've defiled The land, you've defiled the tabernacle or temple or the altar. Your sin defiles God's holy place. That's how it worked. So how did you expunge, cleanse the holy place and get your record clean? Well, you took an animal. A ritually appropriate animal according to the law of Moses. And you took it, not right into the holy of holies. You didn't barge in and say, here you go. Nope. You went to a priest. A mediator. He goes to the priest. He puts a hand on the head of that animal, that innocent animal. And he confesses his name and his sins over that animal. 
in the presence of his priest. And the priest then leads the animal away. And he sacrifices that animal. With that person's sins pronounced over its head. He slit its throat. He drained it of its blood. He put the animal's body on the altar and he burned it as a sacrifice to God. And he took some of that blood and he applied it to different places on the altar and different utensils in the tabernacle or temple, all according to the details in the law of Moses, Leviticus and all that. And he applies the blood to the holy things. And when the sacrifice has been accepted, he comes back to that sinner and he says, the sacrifice has been offered. You are clean. You are free to go. Your sins have been put away. They've been covered by the blood. That's how it happens in the Old Testament. And that's a picture of what Christ came to do. As our high priest, Christ accomplishes our redemption by his death. As the broker, he purchases our redemption in our behalf. Christ the priest is the one who offers the atoning sacrifice that fully accomplishes our eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, as a high priest, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, into heaven, Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, those Old Testament sacrifices, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And now we have a problem. The priest has to offer the sacrifice... But then the priest also has to apply the blood. Jesus is the priest. He's made the sacrifice, but he sacrificed himself. Now he's dead. How's a dead priest going to apply the blood? That's why Christ had to rise from the dead. This is why the resurrection was necessary. God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted Him to heaven, not into the tabernacle, not the Holy of Holies in the temple on earth, but into the holy place of God's own heaven. The true tabernacle, the true Holy of Holies, right up to God's throne, right in His presence, at His right hand. He exalted Him to heaven so that our great high priest could present His perfect sacrifice before the throne of God above. Behold, O mighty Father, the nails where they were, the wounds where I was slain. See this side. He didn't just say it to Thomas, doubting old Thomas. Well, come on, Thomas, put your hands here and see that I'm not a ghost, I'm real. I'm flesh and bone. He walked up to his father and he said, Behold, I am your son, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold my sacrifice. I have offered it as you requested. 
And having done so, Christ looks back at you and He covers you with His blood. He applies His perfect redemption to you and you go free. That's what the resurrection's about. The resurrection does a lot of things for us and this is central. Notice what Paul says in Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. He says, Christ was delivered up on the cross for our trespasses and He was raised for our justification. Christ was raised from the dead so He could apply His righteousness and His blood to you so that you could be free from all your sin. The only reason you can be free of sin today is because your Savior is alive. He lives. And He doesn't just live on down in our hearts. He lives as truly as you do, more than you do. Because now He never dies again. Now He's more alive than we could imagine. Seated at God's right hand. Don't just think, well, yeah, He lives in my heart. There are Christian songs about that. Yeah, it's true. That's sweet. But He's alive at God's right hand and He's coming back in glory. He's a living, risen, mighty Savior. There's an empty tomb in the Holy Land. And there's a holy, immortal man who is also the Son of God, seated in heaven in your behalf. In your behalf. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. There's the mediator. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the mediator, through Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the work of the mediator. He died as your sacrifice, and he rose again to apply his redemption to you. And he is your living Savior. Not just your crucified Savior. Final point. The ministry of the mediator. We've now seen how Christ fulfills the office of mediator by accomplishing and applying redemption to save us and reconcile us to God. That's the work of redemption. That's the work of the mediator. Now finally. The ministry of the mediator. Jesus continues to mediate for you every single day and every single hour of your life. How so? The end of the verse, Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised... That's why no one can condemn you. He, was, he has died and He has raised. Who is at the right hand of God, last part of the verse, who indeed is interceding 
for us. That's something he's doing right now. As you sit there, he's interceding for you and for me now. You see, Jesus is not done with you when you get saved. He's got bigger plans than just forgiving you. Now, there are many, many ways that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. I just want to mention three as we close. First, Jesus pleads our case when we sin. He pleads our case when we sin. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. The former priests, those Old Testament priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now that he's been raised from the dead, he won't die again. So he can be priest forever. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christian, when you feel like you have sinned your way to the uttermost... As we were talking about earlier, when you think you've just sinned too bad, too long, too deep, and you feel like you're at the uttermost, Jesus saves all the way out there where you've fallen. He saves to the uttermost. And He's able to do that because He's always actively alive at God's right hand continuing to plead His sacrifice in your behalf as the condemnations hurl like arrows at you. He swats them all. He defends you to the last. He intercedes for you, and that's why no one can condemn. He pleads our case every time we keep on sinning, and He does not get tired of doing that. It is His joy to do that. He loves to prove the sufficiency of His sacrifice. Number two, He doesn't just plead our case when we sin, He also helps us in our weakness. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you feel weak and needy, you come to your mediator. And through Him, you come to God. And through Him, you trust that God will hear and answer your prayers and give you the help you need in His own wisdom and in His own time. And finally, 
He pleads our case when we sin. He helps us in our weakness. And He secures our access to the grace of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's what the mediator does. He reconciles. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because we have access to the grace of God, Christian. Because we have access to the grace of God only through Jesus. Because we have no access apart from Jesus, our mediator. We must never approach God any other way than through Him. All your obedience... All your good works, all of your prayers, all of your repentance, absolutely everything must go through Christ or it will be consumed by the holiness of God. It's only in Christ that we are accepted. It's only in Christ that we find a gracious God who loves us. It's only in Christ that we find the mercy and favor of God to save us and forgive us of our sins. It's only in Christ, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christian. We stand in Christ alone because He stands for us before the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the work of the Mediator. That You sent Him to do it all. You sent Him to do absolutely everything. And now we have everything in Him. And we owe everything to Him. He purchased our salvation. He bought us our faith and our joy in You. He bought for us our whole redemption. And the application of it. Your election. Your predestination. Your calling. Your justification. Your adoption. Your sanctification. Glorification. Absolutely all of it. Was bought by His blood. And His humiliation. And His exaltation. And it's applied to us because He lives. We don't worship a past time Savior who once walked the earth and once lived for us, and now He's gone. But we look back with gratitude to what He did. No, we look to one who lives and reigns and rules now, who hears us now, who intercedes now. And we just give Him all the glory because He deserves it. We give Him all the glory. We give Him all the praise. Help us to trust in Him alone to always cling to Him, to strengthen our bond with Him, to grow in our relationship with Him, to never make a step without Him. Because He is everything. He is everything. Help us to believe that and to live like that today and this coming week for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.